Welcome to the MLC Awards podcast with Freddie Moyano. I want you to dive with me in amazing, insightful conversations I've had with many amazing guests through my film festival based here in Green Bay, Wisconsin, beautiful Green Bay. And now let's go with this episode featuring artist Brad Balfour. Boom. So here I am right here in the heart of Green Bay at, of course, an Irish Inn, and I'm talking to Freddie Moyano. Hello, this is Freddie. I'm doing the podcast uh, with Brad Balfour in the heart of Green Bay, and I'm doing the uh, pod. We're doing a, a combined podcast for music, art, film, and for the MOC Awards. You know, let's talk about Brad, and I know Brad, I've... I've the thing that really caught me is like when uh, when I when I listen to some of those uh, beautiful, which you can listen in other episodes, you know, interviews, uh, Time Machine, Time Machine interviews from the early '80s, early '90s, etc. I mean, you've been around, man. You've talked to so many. And I only look like I'm 28. You're from Cincinnati, you said. Cincinnati. Okay, I've been to. Born Cincinnati. in Youngstown, grew up in Cincinnati. I've been to the airport in Cincinnati, I should say. Did I you get any Cincinnati? Actually, I lie. I've been to the city of Cincinnati as well once for work. Uh, but enough of Well, that. I have at least eaten cheese curds in Green Bay. Is Are cheese curds just Green Bay or all Wisconsin? Cheese curds is all Wisconsin. Yes, definitely. Okay. So you have to have Cincinnati chili. Oh, in fact, I, while I was sitting in, the, sitting in the hotel here, waiting to go to one or another of your events, I was watching a, a Rachel Ray show where she was preparing Cincinnati chili. And I was feeling homesick for Cincinnati You're chili. You're making me hungry, man. Boy, that right. Cincinnati chili is like nothing you've I love chili, had. man. Oh, my gosh. Well, it's made with all kinds of crazy spices, Greek spices. Really? Yeah, so it's the craziest. And you put it over spaghetti. Wow. Are you the single child or you got... I'm an only child. Only child. Wow. And your yeah. parents also were in the, grew up in the Cincinnati area? No, they grew up Youngstown and Cleveland. Well, well actually... I know where Youngstown is. Their parents are Eastern European Jews who came over in the pogrom. And landed in uh, Ohio. I actually have filmed uh, a couple of uh, gigs over in the in Cleveland, from, from Cleveland to Youngstown and all of that area there. I well, think Cleveland, Portland. there's elements of Cleveland. That, yeah. Uh, wait, were you in Cortland? Ohio too, right? Uh, Cortland there. is in New York State. Oh, okay. Well, you, are you talking about Youngstown? Oh, wait, you're talking about Youngstown? Near Youngstown. Oh, you mean Canton? No, Canton. Canton is actually one of the communities where there Spaniards, Spanish from Spain, uh, used to uh, form in there. It's actually one. So of maybe the, we'll have to make a little movie. Spain yeah. I want to make a movie about Youngstown gangsters. You know the Youngstown. Oh, you know. Big on Italian gangsters. Oh, I filmed a, a director from Youngstown, uh, John Wilson. I actually flew over there in 2018 to do a mafia. It's called Mafia Ties. It was actually his his grandma. His his grams was a bookie. Uh, into the whole deal with a uh, couple of the families and everything, and, and it was unfortunately it wasn't a project that flourished. You know? well, I had an uncle who was, uh, I think, a front man for the mafia, and they used to run their money through his uh, his car dealership. But he died young, not not from the mafia. He right. just died of a heart attack. Oh, okay. But, it was a good concept. So, so only child, huh? Uh, rotten spoil or not really? Well, it depends on what you. I mean, on the one hand, I got all the abuse, and on the other hand, I got all the benefits. So, uh, I, but I will say this, by being an only child, I think that it helped me, it drove me into a kind of an outlier state of mind. Now, I was also, 
well, I never thought of myself as outgoing, but I guess I was a bit of a talkative kid who uh, knew all the answers. I was also, I like to think, was smarter than most of the other kids. So uh, my mother tells me a story of when I was five years old, I came home when I first started kindergarten. I came home crying. It was because I didn't realize that I was supposed to raise my hand when I answered. And I just blurted out all the answers, and the other kids got, and the teacher got nasty with me. I would have never imagined that out of you, man. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just giving you a hard time. Well, the fact that I knew all the answers or the fact that I talked a lot? <laughs> Both. There you go. <laughs> okay. now, but in any case... Um, so you were a straight-A student? No. Well, you know, if I did, completed a class, I well, was Well, you student. know the answer. The right. Answer? Well, when I completed the class, the problem was there were a lot of classes. No, that was more like college. When I was in okay. high school, I was the kind of kid who would be sitting and reading in class, but the wrong books. I would be reading science fiction books, and the oh, teacher yeah. would get mad at me because I wasn't reading The Scarlet Letter. And I said, who the fuck gives a shit? I'd rather read about the future. I'd rather read about dragons. And so I probably read more smart kids. But I wouldn't read the books they wanted me to read. And, I mean, music, tell me. You uh, you learn how to play instruments? No, that's my father wanted me to learn to play an instrument. He was a musician. He, he says he wasn't a good musician, but I just think he was also undisciplined. And he played jazz, he played a saxophone, and I always appreciated it. He never believed that I really appreciated what he did. But I actually was proud of my father's interest in music. And uh, the way I got turned on to music is my father used to play jazz records. Um, and I got turned on to these jazz records when they were 78s, and they were I was five years old, six years old. But I didn't really uh, get into music to the depth to which I have gotten into music until I discovered some radio stations in Cincinnati for whatever reason. We had two of the most unique radio stations. One was called, uh, well, it was W, um, I'll have to think of the, the call uh, letters, but they had a guy named Oscar Treadwell, and he did two shows, one on Saturday and one on Sunday. He did one called The Eclectic Stop Sign, which was hip, kind of like the most uh, out there rock music of the day, which was Frank Zappa, Captain Beefheart, uh, United States of America, The Flock, all kinds of, uh, you know, bands, Grateful Dead doing uh, 14 minutes of uh, solo guitar. And then he did another show called Jazz and Poetry, where I got turned on to Arnett Coleman. I was listening to Arnett Coleman when he was 12 years old. I don't know if you know who any of these people are. But uh, I got turned on to John Coltrane, one of the... Flock uh, by Jerry Goodman, who was the later went on to become the guitarist of Mahavishnu Orchestra. Uh, uh, John Coltrane, A Love Supreme. Uh, Captain Beefheart's Lick My Decals Off, Baby. And I'm trying to think what. Similarly out there. I'll think of it in a moment. I don't even remember what I ate yesterday, but uh, and look. No, I, and I kept those records for many, many years. Some of them I still have, not all of them. Right here. Well, that too. I mean, I, I couldn't. Well, I could quote you a little bit from the Love Supreme, but that's. <laughs> Quick question before I forget this one: What you do in college? Well, I dropped out. <laughs> okay. I met a nice. Here's a nice Jewish boy who might, meets a nice Irish Catholic girl, and we run off to California together. Okay. Now, she was a real hippie. This, I, I mean, to this day, there has never been anybody like Eileen Corder. But Eileen, here she is in high school. She's 16, 17 years old. She won't wear underwear. 
So she never never wore underwear when she went to school. She didn't shave. So she was already a radical. And then she got into Buddhism. She got a, She was the best red person I ever knew. And we met each other and we ran off to California together in a VW van. <laughs> uh, we were in those days. And uh, I remember I didn't see much of the Grand Canyon because I saw a lot of Eileen's Canyon. More of Eileen's Canyon than I ever saw the Grand Canyon. Then we landed in Pasadena, California, of all places. And who could imagine anybody in their right mind would end up landing in Pasadena and working in a St. Bernard store? Now, first of all, why would anybody have a St. Bernard store in L.A. is beyond me. As it is. Yeah, I know. I know. And But we had to take care of these St. Bernards for the owner, and then eventually the owner... And we got stuck having to figure out what to do with the St. Bernard's. Those guys eat how many pounds of meat a day? Exactly. And a lot of shit, too. <laughs> so, anyhow, I learned a lot about St. Bernard's uh, and then eventually moved on from that experience to driving up to the uh, San Francisco, where luckily I, I, I had been involved with the science fiction world from the time I was like 12 or 13 years old. I discovered science fiction fandom. And this is before Comic Con. Driving with a male in his late twenties or thirties, and they weren't there to want because they had some. They were there to 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 uh, have other science fiction fans because you never saw outliers like it's science fiction fans in the sixties or even in the fifties because. It was so bizarre by comparison. You know, by the time the hippie, hippies came in, weirdnesses were kind of commonplace on the radio, on the TV, you know, in movies. But when you were doing science fiction and you were walking around a hotel in St. Louis with people that are wearing uh, uh, Star Trek and, you know, Spock ears, our other people had um, armor on or people were walking around with little beanie hats. Oh, gosh. Did, did you, uh, so you went to college? Oh, well, I went to college. Well, what happened was I, 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 I debated. I was in early 70s. Is that what uh, that was? Early 70s, 71. So I, wasn't thinking about the Godfather. No, I wasn't thinking about the Godfather yet. I was thinking about, uh, uh, Acid and, uh, uh, and the Grateful Dead or whatever. No, not the Grateful Dead. I, my, I was much more of an outlier. So I was listening to the Funkadelic. Movies, how about movies, though? Any movies like well, uh, well, Roman Polanski? They... My apocryphal movie story is I made my father take me to see 2001 A Space Odyssey when the movie first came out in a 70-millimeter Cinerama theater, and I bought the program. I still have the program and yeah. a poster, and I had to explain it to my father. If you've ever seen 2001 A Space Odyssey, which I consider the I've best movie it. ever, yeah, the it. best movie ever, to me, from that time on, even though I didn't really know what I was looking at, I got into Stanley Kubrick. I love The Clockwork Orange. I have met Malcolm McDowell. I have interviewed, talked to Malcolm McDowell. I'm a Kubrick guy. I love, I understand the guy. He probably hasn't been understood by many, but I understand, well, it's a creative talent that well, you kind of have to grasp. And I, you know, but I, but again, some people think he was really weird, you know, in many ways. But I think he was just doing things that oh, maybe I did other see people Spartacus. didn't. Spartacus. I love. Is that with Kirk Douglas? That's or? with Kirk Douglas. I've seen Spartacus no less than 30 times when I was a kid. I don't know why it played every year in, in Spanish TV and everything. 
but I, I it could, that was chin, you know, I could, I could, it's just like that gave that guy so much character. Spartacus was one of my favorite, one and of my favorite he, movies. And oh most importantly, knowing that he was Jewish <laughs> enhanced the experience. Well, I mean, same with Stanley Kubrick. When I was a kid, you know, I couldn't tell if he was or not, you know what I'm saying? But at the same time, uh, yeah, it's it's the whole concept of that is how you can do a lot of movies about Spartacus, you know, but when you really focus so much so well on the character like like he did on with 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 Kirk and everything. And I, I, I really admired I I think the next profound movie to me was seeing um uh uh and funny thing happened on the way to the op uh, on the way to the forum, which was it starred Zero Mostel, of course, and the producers Springtime for Hitler in Germany. Oh, you know that song. No, well, you know. You've never seen the producers? Probably haven't. No. Oh, my God. Talk about making fun of everybody and I'm everything. A I'm a baby. Well, I'm you know. Late 1870s. Late so you're from the late 18th century? I see. Yeah, so 150 years old only, you know. So not, not 300 like you, you know. That's right. <laughs> But I think you're gonna like Room 108 because it has a little bit of that time travel in sci-fi. I think you're gonna like that part. Man. I hope you are. You but the other know. most found movie that affected me when I was a kid was A Fiddler on the Roof. Tradition. Here's the funniest thing about The Fiddler on the Roof. I hadn't seen that movie. I hadn't heard the music in years. I went to the, see the Broadway show with a, 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 oh, I can't think of his name, a fabulous actor. And the minute they started, I knew every lyric. I could have gotten up and done every dance routine. It's like it's built into the Jewish, into the Jewish DNA to know Fiddler on the Roof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And finally, at the end of uh, uh, there was a special screening at the Film Society of Lincoln Center, and Sheldon Harnick and one of the other ones that was still alive, Jerry, I think it was, uh, they got to speak about Fiddler. So I was able to go to a screening where I actually saw the creators of Fiddler on the Roof talking about it. That's great. Now, that was an incredible I mean, experience. Balfour, is that French, the last name? It's a French name, French or Scottish, but it's actually been changed from some Russian name. Oh, I, I don't know. I was told the Russian name was Beagle, but that was changed from another. Well, actually, there is a Beagle spelled B-I-G-E-L. No, I think it was B-I-G-E-L, which is, there is a Beagle, but it, and now the point is, is that okay. I have a fiddler on the roof history because my grandparents came over and apparently were driven out of uh, out of Russia around 1917, yeah. and had similar experiences of leaving the pogrom, uh, leaving because of the pogrom. Right. The one of the stories is that the uh, Cossacks. Your grandparents came from Russia. So? Yeah, my the Cossacks. Well, one one set of grandparents. The Cossacks raped a maid on the couch where one of my father's older brothers was hidden under the couch because he was sick and they came back and retrieved him and they were already so when you see them you know leaving the it's a sim that's my family okay. leaving russia, leaving russia huh? yeah you know it's uh let me ask you this uh the so you've interviewed a lot of like well-known people uh we're talking mick jagger uh we're talking we were just talking yesterday uh, matt Dillon and all of those, those paul, McCartney, paul mccartney bob marley Tell me, you name it. which one, which interview was the one that you walked out of and be like, you're like, oh, I really enjoyed it, or I didn't know, it really shocked me to know. Oh, come it, on. It shocked me to know this thing about this guy that most times the media don't even show that part of that. Who Interviewing the Rolling Stones. Okay. 
Yeah. Jagger was all right, but G- Jagger was like the opening act to meet Keith and Ron. So then I, I do the interview with Jagger. Uh-huh. He leaves. He's gone off. He's you know some other guy. He'll never remember me. Yeah. But I get in the room with Keith Richards and Ron Wood, and they're joking around. They're giving me answers, but they're joking around. Then Keith Richards turns tells me to turn off the recorder, takes out a vial of pharmaceutical cocaine, shakes out a pot for each of us. Cocaine with Keith Richards. That enough. Wow. Rock and roll experience and encapsulated. Wow. So, and then I don't know how I managed to get through the interview. I asked questions, recorded it, didn't remember a damn thing. Pretty happy, I guess. And then Ron Wood leaves, and Keith Richards says, Hey, you want to listen to the record with me? And I sat there for the next hour and a half with Keith Richards playing me each song and explaining it to me, and he wouldn't let me record it. And then he he gave you a limo ride, I heard. And then, wait a minute, this is the capper. Then at the end, the publicist who I was friendly with says to me, uh, I said, um, uh, you know, well, we got to go, but if you need a ride, I'll give you a ride. I said, well, I'm going downtown. Keith Richards goes, well, I'll give you a ride. And I'm going, am I hearing this right? So I end up taking the limo with Keith Richards, listening to Legalize It by Peter Tosh, and we're talking about Peter Tosh and the limo. You had snapped the photos, the Polaroids, before that, right? One shot. One shot of each. Just as we ended, I got, you know, because they were at least, a, yeah. they, they were appreciative of the interview enough that they would do the one picture. Literally, Jagger was ready to move. I said, Mick, just stand there for one second. And Mick got out of there. Now, Keith and Ron... Or cooperative. And you were like this, right? And then. Oh, you know, no, you don't really need to do that with me. But I just set it down. Keith and Ron, by the time I, I was done with Keith and Ron, I could show them the Mick picture. So they were more willing to do, you know, they were willing to do it. But one picture. One. One only. Only one. And Keith was posing like a boss there. I, yeah, I he had. And, and don't, you know, well, they were two very stoned young men. Not uh, you so know, you. You know, I say, I like, I think out of all the ones. The Keith Richards one is the one that I like. The That's most. what everybody likes. Uh, he's got that thing, and who knows? Maybe well, we'll no have, one ever we'll saw a trading deal. Maybe I'll get like a, one of those copies. So I, I really want a, a dedicated copy of that before you. Before I, you know, I, uh, Keith, Keith, Keith. But I'll tell you. Now I probably shouldn't have put this on record, but right. <laughs> nonetheless, what there it is. <laughs> oh, we'll tell you. It's not the only time I've ever. Well, when I did the interview with Bob Marley. I didn't really smoke pot, but I went into the room. It was so heavy with pot smoke. I came out so fucking stoned. Now, I did the interview. I thought it went really well. I listened to it to the next day, and I said, I don't know what the fuck he said. I didn't understand one, because he was speaking in such heavy Jamaican patois. I had to get a Jamaican friend of mine to translate it. Oh, wow. And... It, it, was there an overall message about what he was saying? Yeah, I mean, you, you can hear well, it. I listened to it, what yeah. I was saying. And, and you're right. He had kind of like that mumbling. You know, yeah, he mumbled. Where was that interview with Bob Marley? That was done in a hotel. I can't remember which hotel, but a Midtown hotel. Yeah. He was there for the tour. This was the second to last. I think it was the last tour he did. What year was that? Oh, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. That was 80. Because I was for emotional rescue. 
So that that and then I'm like, I went to see the Stones play. It was at the Palladium. Okay. I literally was in such a good seat. I was at, at a seat almost looking right over them. I was like, not much further than over. Looking at them and they ignored the heck out of me, but they could see me. I'm sure. I was lucky in those days to get tickets like you wouldn't believe. I got to see Prince five seats in. I got to see. I had uh, luckily I was friends with the publicist. Did you talk was, to Prince at all or to? I met him. You met him? Okay, that's which good. not many people got to do. Yeah, not many people. So I was going out with a, if I may say, a Ford model, who was friends with uh, Vanity. Vanity was also a Ford model. Yeah. We came to. We got invited to an after party for Prince. At Radio City Music Club. We're standing there, Vanity and I and uh, my friend Kathleen. All of a sudden, we get swarmed by a bunch of people. I look uh, I, I look at them. I look down. There's Prince Vanity. He says, oh, let me introduce you, Kathleen. Let me introduce you to Prince. And Prince, this is our friend, Brad. And he goes, hi. And that was it. He's gone. That was it. That was it. Uh, yeah, that, that, that sounds like Prince. You know, very... Sarcastic, you know, in a fun way. Well, he had a nice, you know, he was friendly, nice smile. Looked at us. He super wasn't like that. Was it kind of super? Oh, thin? tiny, tiny, thin. I mean, and then I interviewed Ma Ma Michael Jackson on the phone. Did you? And I didn't. Uh, well, for Life magazine, I was doing a little column for somebody. I didn't believe it was Michael Jackson. He had such a high pitch. Hi, this Michael. But that was him. That was really him. Was it on the phone? You're gotta be kidding. Because I told people I was going to get a call from him. Was that before said, no, that no, ba band is, album? I he went, this is, no, no, much earlier. This is back oh, when the Jacksons were touring. Okay, okay. No, no, this is Michael. <laughs> I couldn't believe, I was so nervous. You put him through, like uh, your publicist, anybody? Yeah, I think a publicist, no, they, it was weird. He just called me, I think he called me just directly. To talk, uh, why, well, I did a, like phone? a five-minute interview who with him. Who gave him your phone? Like, uh, the publicist. So you work with the publicist that got you all these things? Well, different publicists. Yeah. I mean, in the case of the Stones, the Stones publicists. Fair publicists. Well, they, the Stones had the biggest publicist of the day, uh, 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 Paul Wasserman. He's now dead. He's since died. He handled the Stones, Tom Petty, U2, Paul Simon, uh, Simon and Garfunkel. You became friends with somebody there. And I became friendly with Paul. Yeah. He got me the Rolling Stones interview. He got me uh, to interview the two, not not Bono or the Edge, but the other two members of, of Clayton. U2, Clayton and yeah. uh, Larry Mullen. Yeah. He uh, got me in to see, um, he got me into a Saturday Night Live party, which was one for Paul Simon. Uh, actually, I think my, my uh, a woman that I was going out with at the time also had a connection to that. And, oh, he got me top 50 tickets. I think it would be possible. Uh, I think it was Paul Simon who was talking about it. Never talked to Paul Simon. Well, I'll tell you a story off recorder about uh, my in association with Art Garfunkel. But uh, but what did Michael Jackson say? Anything? I don't remember. It's published in the in Life magazine somewhere. Just basically said a quote or two about the tour, and that was it. But it was Life magazine, and at that time, I mean, Look magazine, and at that time it was owned by Rolling Stone, which is why I could get the access. So you work for you wrote for that magazine. I never wrote for Rolling Stone. I did a few things for Look, but nothing with my oh, byline on it. Yeah. I mostly worked for Cream. I worked for Circus Magazine. I did uh, uh, heavy metal, but we I brought in music into heavy metal, uh, and I did uh, uh, like GQ Japan for GQ, but for Japan. Okay. So 
I had a nice. Oh, I got paid good you money. Said, you said friends. Did you talk to Morris Day too? The partner that At one time, I did talk to Morris Day. And he's still doing the purple. Oh, that's magazine. right. Minneapolis. We're yeah. right near there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're not far from there. Uh, Morris, I follow Morris quite a bit. He's still doing that purple. Should be magazine. doing a movie about him. Morris, yeah. He's got, he's got that, those dance moves and the whole deal. I should bring him right on stage. Yeah. I've seen him live, yeah. Uh, so, in terms of, when I get the highlights and oh. In the acting industry, I mean, you... Uh, you well, I made the transition in 2002. After 2001, my father was... Uh, a few days before 9-11, he died. So while I was sitting in Cincinnati, Ohio, I decided that uh, I, I had been offered a column in a, in a weekly newspaper in New York about media. So I called up the uh, editor and I said, okay, I'll do that column. Let me write about 9-11 and the way media is covering it from the point of view of being in Cincinnati. So I started the column. I wrote a couple of columns about 9-11. And I said, hey, I can't keep talking about 9-11 for the rest of my life. I, I started covering indie films, uh, indie, anything else that had a media. Eventually it expanded. I stopped doing it as a media column and just did occasionally media things. But I got to interview Steve Jobs in person, sitting here just about as far away as you, 10 minutes with Steve Jobs. Any interesting highlights on that one? Any, I'd have to look at the article. He, he was so quick. You know, he was so anxious to get it done and go on to the next. Really? Okay. That uh, it's in my article. And what? That was in early 2000s? Uh, well, let's see. The, they opened the Apple. No, no, no. Let me. Was that before he was fired out of his own company? He opened the Apple store. So I think it was either 2000 and around 2003. So, I mean. That when they opened the first Apple store. The first Apple store before he was let go and then they. they no, no. Out. No, this is after he's come back. After he came the back. Apple store was created to. Build on the success of the iMac. Yeah. When he got back in and sold them next, and they created changed the operating system, yeah. that that Steve Jobs was on a, on a roll. So I caught him at the and he, he was on the roll. Super. He's he kind of quiet. Tell me a, an aspect of. Oh, he's quite. I actually got to see him speak live because he they used to do the MacWorld show at the Javits. So I got to see him speak live, and I actually met Bill Gates for one second. For one second. Yeah, he was coming out of a trade show that I was attending. And there he was, and he walked by, and I, oh, nice to meet you, Bill. <laughs> so you, you've, you've interviewed actors like Matt Dillon, where we're just talking about that. Well, Matt Dillon I did for a fashion magazine called In Fashion, then later interviewed him for a couple of other movies. Uh, over the years, I've published in a, a number of different places. And uh, at one point, um, uh, when my mother died, I uh, acquired some money from that. And that gave me the freedom to focus a lot on getting myself, my presence in the Internet. Although I was really doing that in 2005. I started doing a lot more work in the, on the Internet. So the initial Matt Dillon interview that you recall would have been... One was in print, and then I did one later. That's that would have been in early 2000. No, the in print was in 86. Yeah, in the, the mid-80s. Yeah. And then you've talked to, we talked to Cameron Diaz, uh, Reese Witherspoon. Oh, yeah, Reese Witherspoon. I uh, did a... Uh, something for uh, when she, uh, was that a one-on-one? -on -one? Might I'm trying to think if it was a one-on-one -on -one or it was a small press conference. But I did a movie that she did a when she started her production company. So that was good because she was really in control of the, the any, film. Any interview of actors or actresses that you you in the well, you know, I enjoyed that, that you that you enjoyed really. Like, I mean, come on, George Clooney, you can't complain. Oh, you interviewed George yeah, George and he George. and he knew that I knew his dad, so he was friendly to me. He didn't know me. I don't think he knew who I was by name, but he knew that I knew his dad. 
and his, and his dad was actually there for the a his a party for a film and the dad's came uh came over i said hi i said you know i worked for dale's oh my god he was i worked my boss at the newspaper was a friend of his so he was, was before Ocean's 11 or after i don't remember i can't remember the movie but i think it was it was around that time and then I've Jesus, I mean, uh, I got to talk to Martin Scorsese and uh, uh, Marty. Oh, you talked to Marty too. Oh, it goes on. Name a person, and I'll tell you a story. Uh, so Marty, was it? Um, I guess I kind of want to know uh, time frame. What well, would have been nineties? I would have been. Uh, no, Marty was in the in the two thousands. I didn't remember. I didn't really start covering movies till after two thousand. So I mean, uh, the few I did some music stories and I mean uh, movie stories in the. In the 90s and 80s, I interviewed, uh, uh, the, uh, she was in Red Sonja, the woman that played Red Sonja. And I got to meet, uh, back in those days, I got to meet uh, Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger. I shook hands. He definitely had a firm handshake. A firm handshake. Well, we were in the waiting room to go interview her. Uh, and uh, Schwarzenegger came in for whatever reason. He was doing his interviews. And I got to meet him. Yeah, the Sergio Bruno, my mentor, he was at the cigar club that Arnold was uh, in L.A. They they share. I mean, his box was like four, four boxes away from Arnold. Well, later on, I ended up going to an event where Arnold was doing a Q&A, and I got to ask him a couple of questions. Oh, I know who I was excited to have met yeah. and got to talk with because he did a movie I really liked and I think still to this day gets dumped Ray on. Moyano? Of course. But uh, no, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Uh, he did a movie called Valkyrie, and I thought it was a great film, and he did a great job. And at the end... It's like we, a period movie. That yeah, right? German, Nazis. Yeah, yeah. At the end, he one journalist who's very pushy runs up there and starts talking to Tom, and Tom gives him a couple of answers, but you can tell Tom's kind of annoyed. So I mentioned it. So I, I could sense that, so I used my opening, and I talked to him about airplanes. Uh, I said, wow, I was so glad to see the planes. And, I, you know, I was a big fan of the P-51. And he turned around and cut this guy off completely. This guy was so pissed at me. Cut, and all he wanted to do was talk about air, air, flying uh, vintage airplanes. He, he was so excited to hear that I knew what a P-51 was. And, you know, and he was excited. And I said, wow, those uniforms are really awesome. He loved it because I was the one guy who had any interest in military stuff. And Cruz was totally into it for that movie. No, I didn't really have it. Oh, you know, I have to go back and look. In those days, I used to get my press notes signed because we, we weren't doing this in Zoom. We were doing it in person. So I might have, I might have a press note signed by him, but it was very tough. The public. Right, I'll, I'll Sharpie sign on your T-shirt if you want. I'm going to have to wear a black T-shirt. <laughs> Gosh, I have a white Sharpie. Oh, yeah. that. I know. <laughs> so that's awesome. I I hear Tom is very methodical. Very oh yeah. The first guy on set at five a.m. and the and last guy who leaves. He gave you good answer. He knew what to do to give you a good answer. I was so glad to have gotten a chance to interview. And then I met Chris McQuarrie, who wrote the movie, and I became friendly. I even emailed with Chris McQuarrie a couple oh, of times. You know, he's the guy behind all the uh, Mission Impossible films, the director. Oh yeah. i well. I mean, I I couldn't pick picture the name you know but well um, i got a chance to interview chris mccorrie when he did the uh uh the the reader film with uh tom cruise the uh, another action fi figure kind of guy but yeah cruise left that and other people did it cool no yeah so tom cruise that was an interview that really oh, that's good that's uh that's really really good so who would you want me to interview for you an 
any precedents or anything? I'll cut you off if you know. <laughs> right? Well, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm really enjoying this interview right now. Who do you think, who, who would you want to know if I interview? Who would, I, oh, I, I, Meryl Streep leaned her head on my shoulder when we were doing a round table with Meryl Streep. And, uh, and uh, uh, it was for the movie Prairie Home Companion. I also interviewed Robert Altman. You know who Robert Altman is, of course. <laughs> Stop bullying me, what? <laughs> he did the movie Nashville. And he is one, to me, he was one of the greatest directors. He was the first director to have people talking over each other in a movie like they do in real life. He did a movie with, um, I think it's Warren Beatty, uh, another Western. And he was, just, he's a fabulous director. And he did all kinds of Tell really. Me Clint Eastwood. Tell me about him. I did interview Clint, Clint. I did get to talk to Clint Eastwood. I had the feeling you had. Wait, Clint Eastwood. Why is that? Clint Eastwood was doing that movie that got all the Oscar. Uh, Boxing one? No, the one out before that. Uh, oh. The one set in Boston. I'll think of the name of it. Anyhow, and he came to the New York, uh, to the Lincoln Center Film Society for a New York Film Festival. And he did his press conference, but then he stopped and let all the journalists come up and ask questions. So not only did I get in my question, but I was able to follow with the recorder. And I got everybody else's answers. So I had the only one who had the full recording of every answer. And I made a feature story out of that. And that got me onto a newspaper called uh, AM New York. And that getting on AM New York really got me a lot of juice. And I got all kinds of people you wouldn't believe. I interviewed Matt Damon. I've interviewed Ben Affleck. Uh, who else do you care about? You don't even care about those guys. You don't... Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, well. All right, you you into Roger, direct. Roger Moore. Have you interviewed Roger Moore? No, I no, I never. He really wasn't that. Oh, yeah, of course. Peace, Pierce Brosnan. And you, you interviewed Pierce. And Dan, Pierce. Daniel Craig. Oh, you, you interviewed Daniel Craig? We did Daniel Craig for the first... Uh, 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 Casino, Ro Casino Royale. Royale Casino no, the, Royale. No, the first one. Before or after the film? Well, Casino Royale oh, was the first one, no. yeah. So after that... And then I did uh, Pierce Brosnan, not for James Bond, but for another movie. Pierce is amazing. Was it... Uh, I love Pierce Brosnan. Western movie he did? Uh, no, some sort of... I think he was a retired assassin. Or, I don't remember. Okay. I'd have to look it Pierce up. Pierce is really good. He's a really good guy. You know? um, he, seemed like he has an art collection out in L.A. I think uh, like he's a he's a very gifted. But he's a very uh, nice guy. Uh, and I got to interview him a couple of times. Yeah, that's really good. That's so good. let's see. Who else? I want to interview again uh, Alexandra Daddario because I interviewed her when she was a young girl and you couldn't look too, couldn't leer too much. But now she's happy. Well. And she, I think she's a talented actress, but uh, also not yeah. bad to look at. Have you interviewed anybody from The Sopranos or anybody from I, the show? Well, I didn't interview them. Well, I interviewed Michael Imperioli. Imperioli, yeah. Okay, but James Gandolfini, I met at an event, oh. and I asked him for a photograph, and he said, I'm not going to do a photograph unless you do it with me. Oh. So he made me a selfie. Get a, that was a selfie. Sel the first selfie. No, not my first. But he made me get a selfie with him. So I have me and you, James. You together. have it. I want to. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's it's digitally. Yeah, you know, it's on it's it's on my Facebook. On your Facebook. But he made me do it. And he was that that was. That, and I thought it was incredibly he nice. Was on top of the world already on that. Yeah, he was on top of the world. The that was incredibly nice of that him. I right. thought that was going to. You know, Dennis Quaid also made me do a selfie with him. Oh, Dennis. Yeah, I like Dennis Quaid. He was a very nice interview. Anybody from the Lord of the Rings? Oh, all of them. I did the big junket for Lord of the Rings. I did Peter Jackson. Ian McKellen? Oh, Peter Jackson. oh I've interviewed Ian McKellen a couple of times. Oh, how is, uh, oh my, one of my favorites, Patrick Stewart. 
Patrick Stewart. Oh, I love Patrick Stewart. I love Star Trek. So I've interviewed the guy who plays Data, Brent Spiner. I've interviewed uh, Scott Bakula. I've interviewed, um, uh, as I said, uh, uh, and many years ago, back when I was at Heavy Metal, I managed to get Gene Roddenberry, and I lost the uh, the, the interview. Wow, the Lord of the Rings must have been nice. so. Sylvia McKellen is he was it, is it was that right after the Lord of the Rings? The first uh, movie. Well, that's kind of what kind of made him. I think I interviewed him when he did that really great movie about James Whale. Him and Brendan Flasher. And I've interviewed Brendan Flasher a couple of times. About, and he's a very nice guy. The, guy the funniest, the best comic. Who? Robin Williams. You interviewed him. We happened to be talking, a uh, couple of the journalists, and we were making laughing about outlaw sperm. Sperm that like pushes its way to the head of the pack and impregnates. <laughs> and Robin Williams comes in, hears this, and starts imitating. Oh, you're playing, he's playing an outlaw sperm. And he, so he would give you a funny answer to every question, then he'd give you the serious answer. And he was great. I got to interview him a couple of times. Yeah, that's a good range of movies. Oh, man, what a great, what a nice guy. Chris Rock was also funny. It, it, was he, uh, was Robin Williams, oh, Chris Rock, yeah. Uh, was Robin Williams uh, a super nervous type guy? It seems like he was very electric. No, he was really. He was calmed. He was... No, no, I wouldn't call him calm. That's not a word I'd use with Robin Williams. But I would say he was more than open and willing and talking. And this was like, of course. Now there are some actors. Robin Williams, there, in the two thousands, right? Well, he was still alive. No, what I'm saying is, it was. It, we it didn't talk a, to him. It, it, it wasn't a spiritual uh, meeting. But it was like a Jumanji, like it was already. Well, he was doing an indie film. That's how you used to get people. Yeah. In fact, I interviewed um, Johnny Depp. Well, I only did a press conference, but I did get a chance to meet him at the end. I got a picture, nice picture of Johnny. He said, Johnny, let me get a shot. Oh, he was much. He, he yeah. treats everybody amazingly. And um, who else? He did Public Enemy here in Wisconsin. It was filmed here. Oh, I remember Public that. Enemy. Yeah, I like that movie. And he actually treated, invited all the extras to a large meal. Were you an extra? No, I wasn't. You missed that one? Well, I was baby in Spain. Oh. To just listen to another beautiful episode of the MLC Awards podcast by Freddie Moyano and the people surrounding the MLC Awards and anything MLC Productions touches, such as productions like Room 108, Union House Hotel, etc. Stay tuned for interviews with actors in those shows, actors and personalities who visit our galas either on a distant basis or up close in person. Do not miss any of those updates and enjoy the music of Jimmy Bruno, my buddy Jimmy Bruno, I love his guitar.